Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom following the official conclusion of the college basketball season as the NCAA tournament wrapped up on Monday. Uh, UConn winning the men's tournament, which uh, seemed pretty predictable, although uh, Griffin's FAU pick would have been more fun. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you know, there was a lot of Cinderella stories in this NCAA tournament here on the men's side of things, but uh, you know the, the the national championship game wasn't the the funnest game of the tournament by any means, um, but but still cool to see some teams you know get into that final four and get into the mix there that wouldn't have you know typically been favored to do so. Yeah, very entertaining tournament overall. Uh, lots of upsets uh, was a lot of fun to watch uh, on both sides, both the men's and the women's uh, Ohio state, actually the only school to uh, beat UConn in an NCAA basketball tournament this year as the Ohio state women, of course, uh, earned a sweet 16 victory over uh, the UConn women, which kept uh, them out of a final four for the first time in 15 years. Uh, ultimately, uh, LSU getting the win in the women's tournament. Uh, I uh, was wrong with my prediction there on the women's tournament. I had predicted uh, that South Carolina would win, as so many did, but Iowa pulling off a uh, spectacular upset of South Carolina in the semifinals before falling to LSU in the final of what uh, was the most watched women's basketball game ever. And certainly, I think, one of the most talked about uh, women's basketball games ever as there was no shortage of conversation about uh, the officiating and uh, the taunting afterwards and, and all of that. But certainly uh, it feels like women's basketball is, is having a moment right now and uh, Ohio State putting itself in that conversation. I know there was a, a ESPN put out its initial top 25 for next year and Ohio State was ranked eighth in there. So Ohio State, after making the Elite Eight this past season, uh, a team that will be expected to uh, compete at that level again next year with uh, J.C. Sheldon announcing last week that uh, she'll be returning for another year. Uh, Cody McMahon, of course, becoming a star of his past season. Uh, lots of lots of talent there uh, for the Ohio State women uh, to potentially be a Final Four contender once again next year when uh, the Final Four will be held in Cleveland. So it'd be especially cool if Ohio State had the opportunity to play in the Final Four in its home state. Yeah, Dan, I mean, uh, correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, but it, it almost felt like, especially with all the fervor on social media and everything, kind of, you know, a lot of that being driven by the the Clark and Reese uh, fallout and everything like that with the the John Cena, you can't see me taunt and everything like that. It felt like that was, you know, the, the women's championship game had more buzz, uh, palpable buzz and, and things like that on social media than, than the men's uh, game did uh, on Monday there. But Dan, any uh, any thoughts? Since everyone's weighing in on, on that topic, uh, did did you find any fault in what Angel Reese did versus the the Caitlin Clark, um, you know, from 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 previous games, kind of doing something similar? No, I mean, I think I think that's fun. I mean, I think that's what uh, we we should want to see more of in sports. We want to see personality. We want to see uh, trash talk and having fun. So I, I thought it was all uh, fun, and it all just. Uh, you know, I know I've seen a lot of people already over the last couple of days have been saying uh, the powers that be, uh, please uh, set up a non-conference game for the start of next season between Iowa and LSU. So hopefully they can make that happen, you know, capitalize off what really seems to be a moment for women's basketball. You know, I think the thing that I think is cool, you know, I think, you know, some of the narratives that have been out there the past few days have been ridiculous about that whole situation. But I, I think the cool thing about it is it feels like people are talking about women's basketball the way that they typically talk about men's basketball. Like you said, I mean, I even, you know, we're recording here on Tuesday afternoon. I'm still seeing more people talking about what happened in Iowa LSU than I am seeing people talk about what happened in the UConn San Diego state game at this point as we're recording it still happened less than 24 hours ago. So I think it's absolutely right that it seems like that game generated more conversation than the men's game did. And we'll see if uh, the women's game can continue to capitalize on that momentum uh, going into next season. Yeah, Dan, you were making a good point in our uh, 11 Warriors Slack channel the other day too. just the, the fact that, you know, in the women's game, someone like Caitlin Clark, uh, you know, who, who's able to spend, you know, years in the game. I've been hearing about Caitlin Clark, even not, 
you know, watching the the women's game or or Iowa basketball in particular on the women's side that closely, you know, that's a name that that I've been hearing about and hearing about her exploits for years. And, and she's been able to to reach this kind of uh, crossover level of, you know, mainstream notoriety with, you know, NBA players and whatnot, you know, shouting her out on social media and taking notice of her game. And so, you know, that's certainly been you know, a, a thing that's boosted the popularity of the game because on the other side of things, a lot of the biggest stars from the men's game are going pro after just one season before they, you know, even have a chance to develop into, you know, the, the top level star that someone like Clark can can become after several years in the game. Yeah. And if you just zero that in on Ohio State, you think of the two stars from this past season at Ohio State who were freshmen, Cody McMahon and Bryce Sensabaugh. You know, Bryce Sensabaugh still hasn't made a final decision, but we think it's probably likely that he's played his last game at Ohio State after just one year. Cody McMahon, we know she's going to be at Ohio State for at least two more years. So I think, you know, I think that's something the women's game has going for it, which, you know, is is not to say anything bad about Bryce or anybody who's leaving early. Um, you know, it's just kind of realistically the money that there is in the NBA compared to the WNBA. It, it, it's, it's different. Like Caitlin Clark could theoretically make more money by staying at Iowa and making NIL money than she will becoming a WNBA player. Whereas, you know, for Bryce Sensabaugh, you know, if he's going to be a first round pick in the NBA, he has a chance to make life changing money that he's not going to make by staying at Ohio State. And so it's it's a different calculus. But I think, you know, it, it is cool for the women's game that, you know, you get to see these stars de- develop over time in a way that we just don't see with the, the men's game. And I think that made an impact on what you're talking about, where, you know, I think unless you're a real college basketball fan, like the casual sports fan maybe couldn't have even named one player going into the final four. Like there just wasn't a, you know, good players, but there wasn't anyone on any of those final four teams. that was like a transcendent player. Whereas I think now the casuals, especially after this past weekend, like the casual sports fan knows who Caitlin Clark is. They know who Angel Reese is and both of them are going to be back in women's basketball next year. And so I think it just gives, uh, I think that's a big thing that women's basketball can, can kind of use to its advantage is this ability to build up stars over time. Whereas the men's game, uh, they almost have to recycle stars year in and year out because of a one and done rule. Yeah, Dan, perhaps for Buckeye fans that are in the know, they would have been able to call out a former Buckeye, you know, transferred um, Jaden Ledee on the San Diego state side of things. I'm actually going to have a piece up on Wednesday about how, a lot of you know Ohio State transfers fared this season, including Ladie. Uh, but Dan, speaking of you know the on, on the women's side of things, the Final Four being in Cleveland next year, uh, and, and our expectations for the men's uh, team as well, which obviously missed the NCAA, NCAA tournament for the first time in the Holtman era this past year. What are your predictions for how far both teams can go in next year's NCAA tournament? With a, a quick, uh, way too early look ahead here, Dan. Yeah, I'll I'll take the optimistic view on the women. I'll say that they make the final four next year. They were they were close this year. I think with the pieces they have returning, uh, you know, I think they could certainly benefit from, you know, maybe adding a piece or two through the transfer portal, uh, particularly to add some size and some depth. But I, I think they have the core that that they're a, a very real final four contender next year. So I'll take the optimistic view there and I'll say. Ohio State women can make the Final Four. If the Ohio State men, it's it, it's harder to put an expectation on them just based on what we saw this past season. But I do think the men will get back to the NCAA tournament next year. I I I don't think I can predict anything beyond the second round until we actually see Chris Holtman do it at this point. So I'm going to say they make the second round of a tournament next year. I mean, I you know I think obviously Sweet 16 is going to be the goal as we've talked about before, but I'll say second round because at this point I got to see it to believe it. Yeah, Dan, I was going to say the same exact things for both teams, but just for the sake of being different here and and the sake of discourse, I'll go, the women are going to make the national championship game. And I'm just going to stick with on the men's side. I think they get, they they win one game, the NCAA tournament and then bow out again, you know, which might not be what what fans are hoping for, but you know, after a season in which they don't make the tournament, they at least have to make the tournament as we've kind of discussed in the past for, for Holtman's uh, future here with the Buckeyes. College basketball season is over, but we are still deep in the throes of spring football for a couple more weeks at Ohio State. And once again, we were both at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on Saturday to watch 
Ohio State's second scrimmage of the spring, which also doubled as Student Appreciation Day. So a lot of Ohio State students had the opportunity to be there and watch that practice as well. And Griffin, I'll start I'll start off with you the same way we did last week. What's maybe the one biggest thing, you know, a few days removed from that scrimmage that's standing out in your mind after watching again on Saturday? Yeah, I think a couple of things you could definitely go with for me, and especially when I was writing my my standouts from the scrimmage piece, it had to be Carnell Tate, Dan, because the, the, the previous Saturday, he obviously shed his black stripe. It was the earliest that any Buckeye freshman has ever done that in terms of the, the course of a year uh, th- that early in March. And, uh, you know, after that first scrimmage, you know, he, he had a couple of moments, but but in this one, Dan, I mean, he was taking first team reps. He might have had the, the most receptions I, I would I would hazard to guess of any player, uh, you know, in that scrimmage for Ohio State, you know, against first team uh, members of the secondary for Ohio State. You know, he really flashed Dan. I mean, he was making highlight reel catches, you know, over the middle of the field on the sideline, you know, and heavy, heavily contested. Uh, I was super impressed by Carnell Tate, and I think really everyone was. And so, you know, I had written a piece a, a couple of days earlier about Carnell Tate kind of being ahead of schedule. But after what we saw on that Saturday, it was like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, I mean, that performance was, you know, really blew me away, even in comparison to what we had seen prior. Yeah, he he was one of the best players on the field Saturday, period. I mean, you could even make the case he was the best player on the field with how well he performed in that scrimmage. And, you know, I think obviously now the question becomes, OK, is this a guy that they're going to have to get on the field this year because obviously we know uh, Ohio State's still loaded at receiver. Marvin Harrison Jr.'s back, Ameka Buka's back, Julian Fleming's back, Xavier Johnson's back. There, there's only so many reps to go around, but boy, Carnell sure looks like someone who could make an immediate impact just based on what we're seeing. Now, granted, we could have said the same thing about Marvin two years ago, and we really didn't see him play a lot until that Rose Bowl at the end of the year. You know, we could have said the same thing about Jackson Smith and Jigba the year before that. And of course that was a, that was a weird year of COVID, but you know, we still, we didn't see him play a ton in in that first year. And so, you know, how much expectations should we put on Carnell Tate in year one? I would still lean conservatively on that and and say that most likely he's not going to see a ton of playing time in year one, but certainly I, I look at him right now and say, this is a guy that's got to be on the two deep. Uh, you know, this is a guy who is certainly making that kind of push that could potentially lead to some playing time this year. And and you look at you look at kind of a way things have progressed with Ohio State receivers in recent years. Typically, the receivers who have become stars at Ohio State, we've seen them contribute a little bit as freshmen, whether that's Marvin or Mecca Buka or Jackson Smith and Jigba or Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. And then in year two, we've seen them really take off and become stars. And I think you can already see Carnell Tate starting to build the momentum where he could be on a similar track where, you know, this year his opportunities are probably still going to be limited just because of how much experience Ohio State returns at receiver. But I think he's already doing what he needs to do to, you know, first of all, surpass those guys that are a year ahead of him because he said he was getting first team reps over guys like Kojo Antwi and, and Caleb Brown and, and Keon Grays who have already been there for a year. And so I think he's already starting to position himself ahead of guys who have been at Ohio State longer than he has. And I think in turn, if he can continue to build on that momentum, it's going to put himself in a position where he could contribute a little bit this year and then could really position himself next year to be a starter when potentially Marvin and Emeka and Julian Fleming and Xavier Johnson could all be gone. Yeah, Dan, I think it's also worthy to mention that, you know, sometimes with, with guys that are this talented coming in, they, they might still have some, some need some time to kind of figure everything out, you know, off the field with school, you know, transitioning and everything like that. But we've heard from, from Brian Hartline and Ryan Day now that, you know, this is a guy that every kind of sector of the program and even in the classroom talking about that he has straight A's, that he's like a, a great kid and kind of has everything figured out off the field right now as well, which I think is only going to help him, uh, you know, continue to to get looks and opportunities uh, for Ohio State early in his career. Now, aside from Carnell Tate, I think the other thing that really jumped off the page to me was just how dominant the defensive line was in the scrimmage. And obviously, whenever you're talking about something like that in a scrimmage, you can go glass half full, you can go glass half empty. On one hand, you can go, 
man, the defensive line really looks good. And certainly I think something that has been the case for Ohio State the last few years is the defensive line just has not been quite as dominant as we had seen in Larry Johnson's earlier years at Ohio State. Ohio State hasn't had that Chase Young or that Bosa brother who's really a consistently dominant player. And we just haven't seen Ohio State's defensive lines wreak havoc and consistently pressure and sack quarterbacks to the same degree over the past few years than we had seen in the past. And so I think the good thing is like you 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 see and JT Tuomolo, I believe, had three sacks. Uh, you know, Jack Sawyer was disruptive. You know, I thought the defensive tackle trio of Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, and Ty Hamilton all looked really good. Kenyatta Jackson's been a standout in both scrimmages, and I, I'm certainly looking at him as a guy who could potentially be a breakout player in that defensive end rotation. There seem to be a lot of guys on the defensive line building momentum right now, and if they can carry that over into the season, that could be a really important thing for the defense because I think there's been so much focus on the secondary on defense. But I think another thing that the defense needs, if it's going to be an elite defense again, is they need more consistent impact from the guys up front. You know, two scrimmages in a row now, we've seen the defensive line really stand out. Ryan Day has praised the defensive line after both of those scrimmages. And so you feel like they're building some real momentum. Of course, the other side of a coin is we know the offensive line is one of the biggest question marks right now. So how much of this is Hey, the defensive line's looking great. They're really building momentum. And how much of this is eh, the, de- the offensive line is is looking kind of shaky. And so you can always look at it both ways. But I think certainly on the defensive line side of things, there's a lot to like from what we've seen so far this spring. Yeah, I think when you're evaluating it kind of as a as a coach or if you're Ryan Day, like the, the defensive line should be getting the better probably of the offensive line right now, just given that, you know, all the returning talent they have. Uh, up front on the D line, it's further along right now than the offensive line kind of should be with three new starters, you know, coming in there and, and having to figure that whole situation out. Also with the, you know, the young quarterbacks as well, the kind of inexperience at quarterback. Ryan Day was kind of remarking that maybe, you know, the, the likes of Kyle McCord and Devin Brown were holding the ball a little bit too long. They they certainly, you know, were, were sacked a lot of times, Dan. Now, of course, you know, non-contact with the quarterbacks meant that you know, some some of those defensive linemen were getting credit for sacks that, you know, maybe maybe a quarterback could have uh, wound up getting out of some of those plays. But, you know, it, Ryan Day even said that, you know, the, de- the, de- the defensive line kind of dominated overall in terms of the winner loser stuff, ended up winning the, the scrimmage in terms of the uh, modified scoring system as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly still think that the offensive line is kind of the biggest point of concern for me at the moment. Uh, but if you remember last, even last year, Dan, with, with with all the talent they had on the offensive line, Ryan Day was saying kind of at this point in the season, kind of the same things that we, we've seen right now, which is that the defensive line is kind of getting the better of that unit. But I think you, you're going to hope if you're Ryan Day and company that, you know, those problems aren't quite as big once you get into the preseason and, and into the fall. Uh, but right now, I, I kind of think that it's it shouldn't be completely unexpected what we're seeing. Yeah, that's an important point to bring up because. This was the case last year where the defense I remember I remember going to a student appreciation day scrimmage last year and the defensive line dominated that scrimmage, too. And a lot of that is, you know, you've got different guys mixing in with with different units. Like, you know, for example, at right tackle, Zed Mahalski was out on Saturday. So Miles Walker, the true freshman, was getting a lot of reps with the second team unit there at right tackle. And, and he looked overwhelmed going up against the guys like Kenyatta Jackson. You could see that. Uh, you know, he he was a little bit overmatched as a, a true freshman in his first spring uh, going up against some of those talented pass rushers Ohio State has. And so I don't uh, you know, I think you're right, but it's not it's certainly not unprecedented, nor is it even unexpected that the defensive line would be getting the better of the offensive line right now. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the offensive line is going to be bad come fall because we saw last year the, the offensive line was pretty good and, and they had a lot of a lot of talent up there. And so, uh, you know, I think. You know, it's not reason to panic that the offensive line is struggling against Ohio State's defensive line, but I I, I do think it is for sure a a concern, and I, I I continue to you know specifically look at that right tackle spot as one that's a question mark, especially right now that you know Zen Mahalski's out with you know whatever undisclosed issue is keeping him off the field. Ryan Day did say he's hopeful that he'll be back by the end of spring, but. You know, he's a guy that's competing for a starting right tackle job and any reps he misses are 
significant in, in that competition right now. And so I, I do look at right tackle where I say, you know, if I was to pick right now, like I think Tegra Shabola is probably a front runner to start there, but you know, I think he's been uneven in these scrimmages. I think I look at Tegra Shabola and I see somebody who I think is going to be a good player at Ohio state. I just don't know if that's going to be in 2023 or if that's going to be further along in the future. And so I think that's a big question mark right now for me. I mean, I think, you know, Josh Fryers looked pretty good at, at, as a first team left tackle, you know, Carson Hinsman uh, continues to look like the front runner at, at center, but I think that right tackle spot remains th- the big question mark where you just don't know right now, does Ohio state have the guy that it needs at that position or is Ohio state going to have to hope that it can get somebody out of a transfer portal to fill that need? Yeah, Dan, and just circling back to that center competition as well. Uh, you know, I've, I've certainly seen it in two straight scrimmages now kind of, you know, really quite a few shaky snaps, I would say, from Victor Cutler, the L- Louisiana Monroe transfer coming in here, uh, you know, that, that a lot of us thought was really going to challenge for a starting spot. You know, that maybe that could still be the case. But right now, it really seems like Carson Hinsman has kind of an iron grip on on those first team reps at center uh, and certainly has had less kind of head scratching moments in terms of, you know, snapping the ball to the quarterback here. And of course, we can't rule out Jacob James as well, who's you know been limited this spring. So he's not really in that mix. But perhaps, you know, he could come in and make some noise there as well, competing against Carson Hensman. Um, But Dan, let's kind of make a natural transition from the offensive line to the quarterback position, where, of course, that open competition is taking place between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. I thought, Dan, in the second scrimmage that the the caliber caliber of play was kind of more consistent, I would say, from both guys, because in that first scrimmage we saw, you know, both guys kind of really struggle early and then turn it on late. I thought Kyle McCord separated himself a little bit in that first scrimmage towards the end. I don't know if I really would say that that either guy had like a clear, much better day than the other, but I thought that there was a little step up in terms of consistency from both guys. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, they've both had their moments in these scrimmages, but I don't think either of them has excelled yet. And I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we all kind of want to, you kind of want to see one of these guys wow you you, know, you kind of want to see one of these guys come out and really look like he's the next cj stroud and I, I i don't think either of those guys from what we've been able to see has done that yet i think based on what ryan day said on saturday but he doesn't feel like either of those guys have done that yet so it's it's still early you know ryan day said he would he still hopes to be able to name a quarterback after the spring and you know I think that'll certainly depend on how things go the rest of this week and next week and then particularly in the spring game next Saturday if one of those guys can really uh take command in that game but you know I think certainly just based on what you've seen in these first two scrimmages I'm certainly going to continue to be very fixed in on the quarterbacks during that spring game because I do think you could look at it as a you know as a need or an opportunity to where you know, I think you know, you you would you really want to see those guys, you know, take it to another level in the spring game. You'd like to see, you know, one of those guys, you know, really, really step up and really look like QB one in that spring game. And I and I think the the door of opportunity is still open to where, you know, we talked last week that we would both pick Kyle McCord as a front runner right now. And I still would, but I also think he's left the door open for Devin Brown to where I don't think I don't think Kyle McCord has gotten to the point yet where he has really solidified himself as the guy. I think the door remains open for Devin Brown. If Devin Brown can can seize that opportunity, uh, that you know, I think Devin still has a chance in this competition. I would still handicap it as Kyle being the favorite right now, but I still think you know one of these guys needs to go and get it, and I don't think that's quite happened yet. Yeah, Dan, I, I kind of think that, you know, if things stay status quo in terms of what we've kind of seen through the first two scrimmages, I would have to imagine that the, that the position kind of defaults to to McCord in terms of the starting job. Obviously, Ryan Day wants to see more from from one or both of those guys in terms of separating themselves. But, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Corey Dennis and Ryan Day said it was going to be a complete, you know, wipe the slate clean 50 50 battle between these guys. I still feel like Devin Brown kind of has more 
to prove because he hasn't been in the system as long. And that, you know, if things kind of go along as they've been going on here, I think that it's it's going to be, you know, look more likely that McCord's going to get that job. But of course, there's still opportunity to see, you know, what these guys can do, especially like there's a lot of plays in the scrimmages where, you know, sometimes the, the play is getting blown dead uh, because, you know, they're giving the defensive line the benefit of the doubt. You know, we, we've seen Devin Brown make some plays on the run a little bit here, uh, especially kind of late in the this past scrimmage. If he can do that in, in an actual live setting, uh, you know, in, in, in the spring game and things like that and make some plays downfield, then maybe that's his opportunity to kind of, you know, overcome some of the, some of the odds here. And we talked about both sides of a coin of a defensive line of the offensive line. This is also true when we're talking about the quarterbacks going against the secondary. And I think that's a part of it, too, where I think, you know, so far this spring, I think the secondary, we, we, we've heard it all spring that they're, you know, challenging more balls. They're, they're making more plays this spring. And I think that's again, it's, it's kind of one of those one of the other situations do you go, okay, is that because the cornerbacks have legitimately improved or is that because the quarterback play isn't as good? Is that because, you know, there is a lot of backup receivers out there this spring, but I, I, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. I, I, I do really feel like there's some real momentum with the cornerback group right now. Uh, you know, I think Denzel Burks had a really good spring. Davison Igbenosin was another guy you had on your list of standouts. And I would wholeheartedly agree with you there, but uh, he's a guy that just continues to shine. And that scrimmage on Saturday, he had the only interception of the day, picking off Kyle McCord. Uh, he had a nice pass breakup on what could have been another spectacular catch by Carnell Tate. Uh, he he just seems to, as they say, uh, quote, keep stacking days. And even just talking to him last week, uh, you could sense a real confidence in him that he, he just seems like a guy who's uh, very confident in himself and his ability to contribute right away. And so I continue to believe that Davis and Igbenosin is is going to be a big factor on Ohio State's defense this year. And I thought it was interesting, too, that we saw a lot of rotation of the corners during this scrimmage on Saturday to where, you know, it seemed like it would be one series. Denzel and uh, Jordan Hancock would be out there as the first team's corners. And then, you know, Davison and Jair would go into the second team. And then the next time they'd flip it around and... Davison and Jair would be out there for the first team and Denzel and Jordan would be out there for the second team. And so, you know, they've got a a group of four guys who, again, I, I think they all feel like can play. And I, I think uh, all four of those guys are having good springs and building momentum to where I continue to believe the cornerback position, which was certainly considered to be a weakness last year, I think has a chance to be a real strength of the team this year. Yeah, Dan, I mean, aside from kind of that, the big flash, you know, all the attention that the Carnell Tate got, it feels like Davis and Igbenosin is kind of one of the, you know, the most buzzed about players this spring or maybe having one of the, the best springs out of all the Buckeyes. He's, he certainly seems to be a guy that a lot of the fans are really excited about him getting a chance to, you know, get on the field with kind of some of the struggles we've seen from that unit in recent years. Him obviously being a 6'2", super long guy, everything like that. But like you said, it's like, it's not like he's just, the the lone guy making standout plays right now in some of these scrimmages at that cornerback position. I mean, I posted the clip of that that PBU on that Carnell Tate route, and you know, I, I people were commenting and being like, "Oh, if he doesn't play over Jordan Hancock, I'm going to be mad." And I'm like, "Hey, listen, like I, I might not have gotten a, a clip of a video clip of it during the scrimmage, but Jordan Hancock had a couple of really nice PBUs uh, during the scrimmage as well, and you know, the likes of uh, Jair Brown, Denzel Burke, all those guys have been making plays so far. So that is a great sign for the Ohio State secondary for sure." Yeah, and it's funny sometimes with the scrimmages because, you know, I know that, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, very hungry for information. Um, and sometimes if you post a clip or say something good about one player, then it's assumed that the player you didn't mention had a bad scrimmage. And that's that's not that's not the case. Like, you know, I, I would just clarify that. But just just because maybe we don't talk about a certain player on this podcast doesn't mean that player had a bad scrimmage, uh, you know, it, it probably means they didn't really stand out in a way that, you know, really caught our eye, but we only have one set of eyes. There's 22 players on the field at a time. And so we don't see everything that happens in these scrimmages. Uh, we certainly try to parse through it all as best as we possibly can and represent it to you all as accurately as we possibly can. But we we don't we don't see everything that happens on every single play when we're in these 
scrimmage setting. So we try our best to, you know, represent it accurately, but, you know, just, I don't think it should ever be assumed that because we didn't mention somebody means that they're doing poorly. It just means that they didn't necessarily jump off the page as much as some of the other players were talking about. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt when I, you know, kind of saw those comments. I was like, man, I wish I had, a, you know, videos of, of all these guys making plays, but I just so happened to be recording uh, during that one there. But Dan, kind of sticking with the secondary here, one of the bigger, you know, developments of the entire practice was the fact that Syracuse transfer safety, Jihad Carter, went down with a, a you know, a knee injury during, uh, you know, seven on seven work there in that practice had to you know be be helped off of the field by two trainers. Eventually, kind of limped back onto the field, but obviously didn't go back into action for Ohio State afterwards. Ryan Day said that you know the the early feedback that he got, he believes that that the knee you know is stable and that it might not be a long term issue, but still kind of a scary moment there uh, for a guy that's been trying to work himself you know into potentially a starting job you know maybe at that nickel safety position. Yeah, and again, like you know, I mentioned with Mahalski. You know, the every rep he can get this spring is important being a transfer guy who's trying to earn a starting job. And so, you know, certainly any setback is unfortunate. You know, if it turns out to be nothing major and he's back on the field for preseason camp, then he certainly still has uh, an opportunity to, you know, compete for a starting job, you know, come the start of a season. But, you know, I, I think, you know, it's we heard some interesting things about the safeties last week when. Uh, you know, they met with the media and, you know, Perry Eliano and Tim Walton met with the media and, you know, and it feels right now, like the front runners to start at safety are Josh Proctor, Leif and Ransom and Cameron Martinez, which again, I know we say those names and I know there's some people out there that don't like that. They, they want to see more Sonny Styles. They want to see more Kai Stokes. They want to see more Jihad Carter specifically in relation to Styles comment that Perry Eliano made, which I, I knew was going to uh, not be well received by some Ohio State fans, and it wasn't, was him saying that uh, Sonny Styles' role will be, quote, streamlined this year. And, you know, I, I followed up with him and I'm like, does that mean it's going to be a situational role? And he responded affirmatively. And so it, it sounds like they're looking at Sonny as someone who probably will play an extension of a role we saw him play against Georgia where he was effectively playing as a Sam linebacker, you know, matching up with a tight end and kind of giving them a hybrid linebacker safety in the box. And I think that's probably what we're going to mostly see from Sonny Styles again this year of him being a guy who you know really has linebacker size, but DB athleticism, you know, he's a guy that can, you know, allow them to put a bigger body on the field without, sacrificing necessarily uh, their ability to cover downfield. And so, you know, I think, you know, they're looking at him at that role. You know, I mean, I I think a natural extension of that role would be to also have a dime package where he's coming in in place of a Steel Chambers or a Tommy Eichenberg, and he's giving them another defensive back on the field who can also play like a linebacker as needed. There hasn't necessarily been any evidence if that's something Ohio State is looking at right now. That's just kind of me ideating about something they could try. But it does seem like, at a minimum, they're targeting him to kind of play that Sam role when they want a, a bigger body on the field. Yeah, Dan, I think, you know, Sonny Styles coming into Ohio State, you're looking at him and you're going, man, you could put this guy in all kinds of different places on the field. He could do all kinds of different things. And then I think this was Perry Eliano kind of saying, we don't want him to just be okay. That's pretty much what he said. We don't want to be okay at a lot of different things. We want him to be like excellent at a, a specific, you know, skill set. And I don't think it's that dissimilar from what we've been talking about with the whole uh, Jack Sawyer not playing Jack and Larry Johnson wanting him to really hone hone his skills at defensive end. That kind of seems to be a similar thing there, where where they're you know the the secondary is kind of saying, you know, we don't want Styles just to be doing. A million different things back there. We want him to really hone his craft, get really good at this one thing, and maybe use him uh, in, in some kind of you know a streamlined role, like you said, instead of just throwing him all around the field, which you know may not be that exciting for for fans that hope to see him doing you know be used as as the the secret weapon, like Jim Knowles was saying uh, even last year to to do a whole bunch of different things. Uh, but I but but you know that might be his best path to actually getting on the field routinely is 
you know, hunkering down on, on one specific thing. Yeah. And Perry Eliano said it, you know, I, I know these guys strengths. I know these guys weaknesses, you know, I want to put them in positions to, you know, utilize their strengths. And, you know, that kind of goes back to what I said last week, where, you know, I think it's very easy for those of us on the outside to look at it and go, this guy was a five-star recruit. He should be out there playing every play, but the coaches are seeing more things in practice that we're not seeing. And you would kind of get the impression based on what he said, that maybe they're seeing certain things that have them thinking, you know, maybe Sonny's not ready for that full-time starting role yet. Maybe the best thing for him right now is to be a role player and kind of gradually develop him into where he could become a starter next year. And, you know, I think thing that certainly bothers some fans about that idea is the fact that he's entering his second year of college. Now he could potentially leave for the NFL after three years. He's that kind of talent. And so the idea of if he's not a starter this year, he could potentially be a starter at Ohio state for only one year. And then he's gone. I do think the ever important thing to remember is that Sonny's only 18 years old right now. Theoretically should be in his first year. I mean, like he, had he not reclassified, he would have just gotten to Ohio state in January. And we'd be talking about him the same way we're talking about a Carnell Tate as a guy who's in his first semester at Ohio state preparing for his first season. And so I think that's a factor too, in the sense of, you know, recognizing that he is still a young guy and not wanting to absolutely overload his plate right away, even though he is now going into his second year at Ohio State, because he is still in his first spring at Ohio State. So, yeah, Dan, looking back at those three kind of veteran guys that are taking most of those first team reps at safety, Cameron Martinez, certainly a guy that I, I, don't, I don't think I was expecting to see get as much, you know, first team time as he has so far. And, you know, unfortunately for Jihad Carter, and I guess fortunately for Martinez, you know, that that injury might play a role, you know, going forward here in the spring. Um, but Dan, has anything kind of stood out to you about those three top guys uh, when, when you watch those guys play with the first team? I mean, I haven't had any of those guys on my, you know, standouts from the scrimmages per se, um, but it might not be at the same time, the, the perfect setting for some of those guys to, to you know, show all of their skill sets, given that not all of it's kind of live, you know, full action work there. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the, the big question I have in terms of those guys as projected starters is just whether Josh Proctor can be that guy that Ohio state can consistently rely on to be that last line of defense at the back end, because if we think of what we've seen from Josh Proctor in his career, he's always been a guy where he makes some flashy plays, but he's also made some costly mistakes. I mean, even just going back to last year, I mean, he starts out the year as a starter, first play of a game, he he whiffs a tackle, gives up a long catch, and then he loses a starting job for the rest of the year. And so, you know, I think that's one thing I was looking for in Josh Proctor is like, can he can he have that consistency on the back end? And for me. There were three things that stood out watching Josh Proctor on Saturday was watching the one-on-one drills that uh, they were doing where it was basically DBs tackling wide receivers and multiple times Carnell Tate ran right by him on those drills. He made Josh Proctor miss a tackle. Then watching the red zone passing drills, uh, there was one where he tries to break on a route for an interception he overruns the route. He leaves G Scott wide open in the end zone for a touchdown. And then, you know, in the actual scrimmage, I think the the highlight of the day for Proctor was, I, I don't remember if it was a, a run or a, a catch over the middle, but, you know, Josh Chip Trainum gets the ball over the middle and Josh Proctor lays him out. I mean, hits him, hits him probably a lot harder than Ohio State wants to see um, him hitting their own guys in practice, but uh, knocked him down to the ground, kind of stood over him for a second. And we've seen that from Josh Proctor before. Like we know Josh Proctor's a guy like he can make a big hit. He can make a big play on the ball. But to me, at that free safety position, like I always think back to like Jordan Fuller a few years ago, like that's really what you need at that free safety position is you need a guy that you can consistently rely on to make the play. Like, and I thought like last year, like I thought, 
most of a year, like I thought Ronnie Hickman was that guy. And the last couple of games of a year, I'm not sure he was. But most of a year, I thought that he was that kind of guy for Ohio State. I, I think that's my question of Josh Proctor is, you know, we know he has talent. We've seen him flash that talent throughout his career. But in his sixth year at Ohio State, can he suddenly become a, a different level of player than we've seen? Can he put it all together and become that guy they can consistently rely on in the back end of a defense? And the answer to that is I just don't know. So I think that's my biggest question right now at safety, where I certainly understand the logic of keeping Leif and Ransom at strong safety. You know, obviously, a lot of people right now, they think of Leif and Ransom, they think about one play against Georgia. But by and large, Leif and Ransom was really good last year. He was a Jim Forp Award semifinalist. So I think it's very valid for Leif and Ransom, for them to want to keep him in that position where he thrived most of last season. And so I, I think that's logical to want him to be the starting strong safety. My, as I've said before in a podcast, my thinking going in was, I thought the best move might be to move Leif and Ransom to free safety and then put Sonny Styles at, at strong safety. Now, again, the coaches see more in practice than we do. So maybe they tried Leif and Ransom at free safety and saw things there they didn't like and said, we're better off keeping him at strong safety. I, I don't know uh, all, all the logistics of that, but I think to me, Josh Proctor is a guy there that has a lot still to prove like Leif and Ransom. Yeah, he made a big mistake against Georgia, but Leif and Ransom, he's going to be a starter at safety this year. His his play over the course of last year warranted him being a starter. I think Josh Proctor and Kim Martinez both have a lot to prove. And, you know, certainly it sounds like uh, they have done the right things this spring, that they have made an impression on the coaches. But for me to sit here right now and say that, like, I think those guys should be the starters, I just don't have enough to go off. To, to, to really say that, you know, I mean, I think I'm also not going to sit here and say like Ty Stokes should definitely be the starter because we haven't seen him play that much yet. I, I'm not even going to go ahead and say Jihad Carter should definitely be a starter because, you know, we, we haven't seen a lot of him yet just in an Ohio State uniform. And so I, I think there's still a lot of question marks there about who for the actual three best safeties are and whether the guys who are in line to be those starters now will be those same guys come September. Yeah, right. Writing about all three of those guys here in the last like week or so, they all kind of do have similar storylines kind of heading into the season. Lathan Ransom being a you know a little bit of the outlier given that he had the longest kind of unencumbered stretch of, of really good play this past season for Ohio State. Uh, but really all three guys are were, were kind of part of some some notable you know breakdowns in the secondary last year. Josh Proctor more so early on because he didn't have all that many opportunities late. Lathan Ransom and Martinez. What was the Martinez breakdown? Was that in the in the Michigan game, Dan? Yeah, it, it was the uh, one of the long touchdowns where he he got turned around the wrong way and then gave up a seventy five yard touchdown to Cornelius Johnson. Yeah, so so a couple of these guys, obviously their 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 last impressions, kind of on the Buckeye fan base, weren't good ones. All three of these guys though have had to come back from injury issues. Obviously Proctor and Ransom both breaking their leg. Proctor's had other issues as well. Uh, Cam Martinez. You know, his kind of injury issues weren't all that well publicized last year, I don't think. But talking to him recently and uh, Perry Eliano as well, they both talked about how he was kind of dealing with with an ankle issue, like pretty much almost throughout the entire season. Um, so I think all these guys, you know, definitely have something to prove going into this season. And that's kind of the sense you get from talking to all of them as well. I think the good news at safety is, I mean, I feel like they have six, maybe seven guys who could play this year, who I think have the potential to potentially be starting caliber players this year between, you know, those three guys. And then you add in Jahad Carter, you add in Sonny Styles, you add in Kai Stokes. And then, you know, Court Williams is a guy who I think is easy to forget about now because he missed most of last year of injury and he's still injured this spring. So it's, it's hard to know how he might factor in, but you know, he's a guy at this time last year that they were talking about, like he could be a potential starter. I mean, he's a guy, he, started in the Rose Bowl at the end of, of the year before. And so he's not a guy to to completely forget about in this conversation either. You know, he's a guy that I would look at as maybe the best role for him would be similar to what they're talking about with Sonny Styles, with being that guy kind of playing in the box as a hybrid safety slash linebacker. But he's another guy in that conversation too. And so I think the good thing at safety is I, I think there's a lot of options there. I think there's a lot of healthy competition 
that's taking place right now. It's just a matter of finding the three guys who they can rely on consistently to be those starters. Another common thread with, with those guys as well as we wrap up kind of talking about that position is just that, you know, these are all guys that have had a lot of time in, you know, on the Buckeye defense, but it's been with a slew of different defensive coordinators, secondary coaches, defensive schemes and whatnot. And this is the first year that, that all of them are kind of going to have a second straight year in the same system where they're not having to, to learn a, a new scheme or, or switch positions. Cause all three of these guys have kind of played multiple different roles in the past, you know, between these, these different kind of regime turnovers at Ohio state. And it sounds like from the coaches and from them talking that, that all three of those guys feel more comfortable than ever before because of that fact uh, heading into 2023. We talked about Carnell Tate before, but I think another receiver who certainly caught our eyes on Saturday was Marvin Harrison Jr. And you'd expect that from a, a guy as talented as Marv, that you'd expect to see him make some plays in the scrimmage. But I think what really stood out about Marv on Saturday was that he took most of his snaps from the slot. And, you know, that's a position, we, you know, we've seen him line up there occasionally, but not with any regularity at Ohio State. But with Emeka Buka and Xavier Johnson not out there during the scrimmage, they decided to experiment with Marv lining up in the slot with, you know, Carnell Tate and Jaden Boward and Noah Rogers taking most of those reps outside. And, you know, it was interesting hearing Ryan Day's comments about that afterward, where, you know, he he talked about how, you know, for one, he thinks that can help Marv's personal development. And I, I'm not sure it was a coincidence that this happened. And Ryan Day said that a day after there was a tweet that was going viral on social media that, uh, supposedly some rival coach of Ohio state said that Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than Marvin Harrison jr. And that Marvin will be quote limited in what he can do in the NFL. So maybe not a coincidence that Ryan day then decided to highlight that the next day and talk about how, you know, they could develop Marvin's route tree by having him do different things in practice. But Ryan day also talked about how playing him in the slot, gives something else for defenses to account for if you know the different kind of matchup problems that he could create in the slot and so it's certainly intriguing um you know the question then becomes you know how much will we actually see that during the season you know obviously Emeka Buka is going to start in the slot you know Xavier Johnson's a guy you'd think is going to factor in there at the slot you know Julian Fleming's another guy who could even play some snaps in the slot so how much will they actually use Marvin Maslot? I don't know, but it's certainly a good weapon for Ohio State to have in its back pocket. Yeah, Dan, I also kind of wonder, you know, with the the inexperience at quarterback, obviously we saw so many plays last season where, where C.J. Stroud kind of had to thread the needle to Marvin Harrison on the outside. Obviously, a lot of that had to do also with, with Harrison just making unbelievable catch after unbelievable catch. But you, know, you just wonder if if the, you know, it takes some time to get whoever ends up winning that, that starting quarterback job going in terms of reaching their potential and the, in the accuracy, the downfield playmaking, if having a guy like Harrison, the, the best player on offense, maybe a little closer to the line of scrimmage or on, on routes underneath where, where they, where he can kind of get going without having to have the quarterbacks make these great plays on the outside. If that kind of factors into it as well. Yeah. And I think even beyond that too, you have to figure, okay, every opposing defensive coordinator going into this season is going to be looking for ways to try to take Marvin Harrison out of a game based on what he did last year. So trying to scheme up different ways to get him involved so that defenses can't take him out of a game plan. I think that's probably a factor as well. Dan, how about his uh, running back as well? Uh, you know, some, some good news for the likes of Travion Henderson uh, in that practice, given that uh, he returned us to a little bit of ind individual drill work. Obviously he's coming off of that, you know, surgery this off season. Uh, Ryan Day said he, he's really happy to see Henderson get back into it and that he's dying to get back on the field. But obviously we did not see him, you know, actually in the scrimmage work. We did not see Mayan Williams either. So we got to see a, a bigger sample size of Chip Tranum and Dallin Hayden back there working with the first and second team offensive units. And both of those guys had their moments, Dan. I think maybe the biggest standout play was that 70 yard touchdown run from Chip Tranum uh, in which he really turned on the, the afterburners, Dan, there. That was like one of the, the first times that I, that I was like, oh, wow, there's that crazy athleticism that all the, the, the Buckeye linebackers were talking about, you know, in the preseason last year uh, and, and everything that, that he can do athletically. 
I was like, wow, he he really separated himself in the second level on that touchdown run. Uh, but Dallin Hayden certainly had his moments as well. Yeah, I mean, people keep talking about how Chip's one of the fastest players on the team, and he's 230 pounds. So you, you add that combination of size and speed. Uh, he's a guy that certainly has the potential to be a, a dangerous player in that backfield. And we saw Dallin Hayden do a lot of good things when he got opportunities last year. I mean, even starting in the Peach Bowl. And so uh, I think you have a question now becomes, okay, how does Ohio State get those guys involved? Because you feel like, you know, when everybody's healthy, Ohio State has four really good running backs in Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Chip Tranum, Dallin Hayden. It's, it's a lot of mouths to feed. I mean, you, you know, you, you don't typically see a four-man running back rotation. So I think it's going to be hard to find roles for all of them. But certainly, you know, Chip and Dallin are, are making their case as guys who should continue to have some role in the offense, even when Mayan and Trey are back on the field. Yeah, somebody sub- suggested to me in the our weekly beat writer chat that we do in the 11 Warriors forum uh, that c- could Chip Tranum play kind of that Mitch Rossi role? Because, you know, he is such a big, sturdy, you know, guy that that, that kind of makes sense. But I just don't know if, if we'll actually see that come to fruition. But it was certainly an interesting idea. And we've also seen like I feel like we've seen quite a few, you know, pass attempts to Chip Tranum over the middle of the field in, in these scrimmages as well, Dan. Yeah, I saw that in your chat and I thought it was an interesting idea because I do think that when we talk about, you know, replacing the Mitch Rossi role this year, that I don't think the answer to that is going to be having a guy that does the exact same things Mitch Rossi did. I think that's going to be maybe coming up with different packages that can give them some kind of a two back look. Whether that, you know, could that be a chip train him? I look at a guy like a Xavier Johnson and I look at him and I see maybe he's a guy that could do a different variation of that. When we talked to Brian Hartline last week, he he mentioned, uh, I believe his quote was, you know, I think Xavier's a really good wide receiver and he thinks Xavier's a really good running back. We need to find a way to utilize that. So I wonder, could a guy like Xavier maybe take on a new variation of that role, you know, kind of a Debo Samuel kind of role that you know, people talk about with what he does or the 49ers. Could there be some kind of role for Xavier that utilizes his ability as both a running back and a wide receiver in, in that capacity? You know, I think when you have as many weapons as Ohio State does at its as its depo- at its disposal between wide receiver, running back, and tight end, it needs to be creative and find ways to use these guys, you know, in most games, it probably doesn't have to get creative because in most games, you know, that talent is probably just going to overwhelm defenses. But, you know, when you start thinking ahead to those bigger games of the year, I think again, I mean, with, I think four really good running backs, I mean, loaded at wide receiver. I, I think there's a lot of different things that Ohio state can do to get creative, to give defenses different things to account for. And I think, you know, that's certainly something that you'd like to see them do just to take advantage of all this talent that they have. Yeah, Dan, another guy that you think at some point Ohio State's going to want to get on the field just because of his freakish kind of, you know, physical build and, and skill set is Jelani Thurman, the 6'6", you know, 250 plus pound freshman tight end for the Buckeyes, who I also had on my, you know, among my Buckeye standouts from this past weekend scrimmage uh, because he made, you know, quite a few catches um, on offense for the Buckeyes. I thought in that, in that first scrimmage, uh, he made, you know, he had a, a couple of moments, but uh, th- this past Saturday, I thought he had a much more active role, caught quite a few passes uh, there for Ohio State. And just, you know, when you combine that with just the way he looks physically right now, it's hard for a guy like that not to stand out. Yeah, he's an intriguing player, just based on everything we've seen this spring. I mean, now we've also seen in the past that, Typically, freshman tight ends don't play a lot at Ohio State, but he looks like somebody who could challenge to break that mold. I mean, Cade Stover is going to be the starter. I would still think that G. Scott and Joe Royer are likely to get most of the snaps at tight end aside from Stover. But Thurman's definitely a guy to watch. I mean, I think, you know, kind of like we talked about with Carnell Tate, it feels like, you know, he's already kind of put himself ahead of, you know, Bennett Christian and, and Sam Hart. And so he seems to be putting himself in a position to where, you know, he's going to have the chance to play a major role for Ohio State sooner than later. I, I'd probably guess that it's going to be kind of similar to Jeremy Rucker to where, 
you know, Rucker, we only saw him play occasionally as a freshman. And then, you know, his sophomore year, he, you know, started playing a lot more and then eventually became that starter by the end of his career. I, I think it'll probably look somewhat similar to that, but I don't rule out the possibility that there could be a role for Jelani Furman this year because, I mean, physically, he certainly looks like a college-ready player. And I think he has a, a skill set, you know, in terms of his athleticism that, you know, maybe Irvin G. Scott, you know, I think he has a different skill set than most of the guys in that room. And so I do think that he's a guy that, you know, potentially if you're looking to get creative at the tight end position, he's a guy that might offer you some flexibility in the different things that he can do. And big news for the Buckeyes just one day after that scrimmage, because on Sunday, the Buckeyes earned a commitment from James Peebles, the number five rated running back in the 2024 class, uh, Texas product. Uh, that was obviously huge news for, for Tony Alford and the Buckeyes, because of course, a lot of people were losing their mind after Michigan poached Jordan Marshall, the, the Ohio native to, to Michigan. So, you know, that a, a big feather in the cap of Alford in Ohio State and kind of the, the clap back they needed there, Dan. Yeah, that's a big win on the recruiting trail for Ohio State for sure. James Peoples actually ranked ahead of Jordan Marshall. And so that doesn't, you know, it doesn't nullify the loss of Marshall because an Ohio State would have loved to land both of them. And Ohio State was very high on Jordan Marshall. And obviously, anytime you lose a top 100 prospect in the state to Michigan, that hurts. But I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, landing James Peoples is kind of a sign that Ohio State's going to be okay there. Like, they, they're going to be okay. You know, yeah, they lost a really good player from the state of Ohio to Michigan, but you know, they rebounded the way they needed to by landing another really good running back. And so, uh, you know, they're going to be okay there. They're they're, going to be just fine in terms of continuing to replenish that talent at running back. Dan, another guy that kind of picked Michigan over Ohio State here in recent days was the big time quarterback prospect, Jaden Davis. You know, not that not that that was unexpected by any means, given how that whole situation kind of played out in that class at quarterback for Ohio State. But the Buckeyes could make up ground there. Dan, this upcoming week, because on Saturday, uh, 2024 quarterback prospect Air Nolan is set to commit uh, to wherever he is, you know, decided on uh, to, to play at the next level. Uh, the Buckeyes just offered him this past week, Dan. Uh, what are you kind of hearing and seeing about uh, the possibilities there? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, you know, I think initially you would look at it and say, OK, he set his commitment date before he even received an offer from Ohio State. That would usually look like a bad sign for Ohio state, but I think Ohio state, you know, is very much of a running here and I won't be surprised if Ohio state ends up landing his commitment this weekend, because I think, you know, I think there was always kind of an understanding from both parties there, that you know, Ohio state typically doesn't offer quarterbacks until they've spent some time with that quarterback in person. And so I think there was always kind of an understanding there that he was probably going to get the offer from Ohio state once he actually visited Ohio state. And so I think even though he just got his offer this weekend, Ohio state's been recruiting him pretty heavily for the past several months. And I think he certainly, you know, he's the guy they want right now at quarterback, you know, after losing Dylan Rayola, you know, Jaden Davis, they just were never basically, they just lost too much ground with Jaden Davis because effectively they chose Dylan Rayola over Jaden Davis. And so I think that kind of turned Jaden Davis off and they just weren't really able to get back in that recruitment after, uh, you know, Dylan Rayola decommitted from Ohio state. And so uh, they kind of had to reset the board and it's been pretty clear for the past couple of months that Aaron Nolan's the guy that uh, of guys that are seriously considering Ohio state, that, that he he's the guy Ohio state wants the most. And so uh, I think Ohio state has certainly made a big push to land Aaron Nolan. Uh, we'll see where that ends up on Saturday. You know, Miami's viewed as a, a strong contender there as well. But uh, I know Ohio State would love to land Aaron Nolan on Saturday. And if they do, uh, that would be a very important response for Ohio State at the quarterback position after, you know, losing out on both Dylan Rayola and Jaden Davis. Aside from Nolan, Dan, uh, could there be more commitments coming soon for the Buckeyes? And how could they kind of keep this recent momentum rolling here? Yeah, it feels like there definitely could be, you know, I think a few guys who uh, there seems to be some, you know, buzz about trending toward Ohio State, uh, a couple more receivers, because uh, we know Ohio State had a lot of success at receiver 
Uh, Mylon Graham and Jeremiah McClellan are a couple guys who could both potentially join Jeremiah Smith in that wide receiver class of 2024. Uh, you know, Mylon Graham's another five-star guy from Indiana, a guy who a guy who was unranked when Ohio when he camped at Ohio State and earned an offer a year ago, and his profile has really blown up since then. But I think Ohio State getting on the ground floor there early, offering him before he blew up as a recruit, ha- has really gone a long way for Ohio State in that recruitment. And so I think Ohio State has a good chance there. And uh, he was just on campus this past weekend, so I think Ohio State will be hoping they can uh, potentially land his commitment soon. And then uh, Jeremiah McClellan, he just narrowed down his top 12 on Monday, I believe. And he's another guy that there's been a lot of buzz and momentum toward him potentially becoming a Buckeye. And so uh, I think Ohio State is in, is well positioned there to land two more really good receivers in this class. And then Reggie Powers as well, the safety from Centerville. Uh, you know, He's a guy that basically, as soon as he got his offer from Ohio State, uh, two weekends ago, people started putting in crystal ball projections that he was going to end up as a Buckeye. And so that one feels like it's it's probably only a matter of time, too, that he will eventually end up committing to Ohio State. So, yeah, I think if you're looking at guys that are on commitment watch right now in these last couple of weeks of spring practice, uh, certainly Aaron Noland with his commitment date scheduled Saturday. And then I think Mylon Graham, Jeremiah McClellan and Reggie Powers are are free guys as well that if. You know, you're looking at guys who could commit to Ohio State soon. I wouldn't be surprised if any of those three committed to Ohio State. Well, Dan, I feel like we got in a bit of a, a rhythm, a, a bit of a routine there the past two weekends with having these open practices at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. We, we will not have one of those, you know, coming up this weekend. But the the spring game is rapidly approaching, Dan. Yeah, just ten days away. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that. We'll certainly uh, look ahead to that a little bit next week as we prepare uh, to return to the shoe for that spring game on April 15th. So hope you join us again next week. Thanks for listening in and we'll catch up with you again soon.